The scripture lesson today, the scripture reading, is from both the Old and the New Testament. The first reading is from the book of Psalms, 15, verse 1 to 5. You'll find it in the Pew Bible on page 485. Psalm 15, verses 1 to 5. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? Those who walk blamelessly and do what is right and speak the truth from their heart, who do not slander with their tongue and do no evil to their friends, nor take up a reproach against their neighbors, in whose eyes the wicked are despised, but who honor those who fear the Lord, who stand by their oath even to their hurt, who do not lend money at interest and do not take a bribe against the innocents. Innocent. Those who do these things shall never be moved. The New Testament reading is from Luke, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, found on page 940. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them. But when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, Therefore, I, I did not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man set under authority with soldiers unto, under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. The word of the Lord. Thank you. 
Let us bow together in prayer. O Lord, by your word and spirit, speak to us this day. Speak not to our ears alone, but to our hearts, that our lives and labors may bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Words, words, words. You and I live in a culture that is absolutely drowning in words. Newspapers, iPhones, iPads, radio, TV, email, Facebook, Twitter, text messages, teachers, preachers, spouses, parents, children, friends. They're all overwhelming us with a flood tide of words. I would be willing to guess that most of us here today use some sort of little electronic device to help us manage all the words that are part of our lives. And I hope you've got them turned off or at least muted this morning. <laughs> you know, some days I am so totally numbed by all the words that have been a part of the day that when I get home at night, I ignore the evening news even if the television is turned on. And I confess to you that I probably enjoy college basketball about as much as anyone here today, but I dread the thought of the start of another college basketball season later this year because I know it's going to bring more of the endless words of commentary and analysis from our good friends Clark Kellogg and Greg Gumbel and, yeah, you know, Dick Vitale. Bless his heart. <laughs> you know, for 25 years, Carol and I lived in Clinton in the upstate, and we thank the Lord we finally sold our house a couple of weeks ago. But I recall that several years ago, there was a woman who wrote a letter to Dear Abby asking for <coughs> some advice or some help. She said, Please tell me what to do about my husband. He talks all the time. He thinks he is an expert on everything under the sun. How can I shut him up? And it was signed, Desperate in the Upstate. <laughs> We're drowning in words. Printed words, spoken words, tweeted words, texted words so many words that I, I think we probably don't take seriously anymore the power of words. We say things like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Or we say, talk is cheap. Or we say of someone, he's all talk and no action. Cliches that suggest that we discount the value and the power of words but the fact is that talk is not cheap. Words hurt. Sometimes they hurt worse than angry deeds. If you're inclined to doubt even for a moment the power of words to hurt, let me ask you just to consider 
the current political rhetoric that we are subjected to day in and day out with the name calling and the distortions of truth and the assaults on character, words that serve only to tear down and divide and wound. Or if you doubt the power of words to hurt, let me invite you to look into the face and the heart of a seven-year-old boy who has just been told by his parents whom he loves, you're lazy and stupid. You're an embarrassment to this family. We wish you had never even been born. Fred Craddock was right when he said, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words, words can kill us. Words have enormous power, power to inflict suffering, to wound our spirits, to destroy our lives and relationships. But words also have power to do a great deal of good, power to communicate truth, to express love, to promote peace. They have the power to encourage, to teach, to inspire, to bring people together. Even very simple words can have enormous power to comfort and to heal, to lift up. And it occurs to me that as people of faith, you and I should have a special appreciation for the power of words. The book of Genesis describes how God created the universe with words, speaking to call things into being or to give things a name or to pronounce a blessing. We know when the power of God was revealed to the people of Israel, it was done through words. Words spoken to Moses through a burning bush, or the ten words given on Mount Sinai, which we know as the Ten Commandments, or the, the word of the Lord spoken by the prophets, words of judgment and correction, words of comfort and peace, words of forgiveness and hope. And then in the fullness of time when God acted to redeem the world from the power of sin and death, John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And that's the word that said to us, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. My peace I give to you, not as this world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. You see, words have power, real power, to do good. And in our gospel lesson this morning, Luke has told us about a man who understood well the power of words. He was a Gentile soldier, a centurion, living in Jewish territory in the service of Rome. Strangely, the Jews admired him. But they admired him because he loved their people and honored their faith traditions. He is depicted as having a generous heart and a gracious spirit. 
Luke never tells of any face-to-face encounter between this centurion and Jesus. Though some people have said he could have been the centurion present at the crucifixion who declared that Jesus was the Son of God. We don't know that. All we know is that this centurion had a servant whom he loved who was dying. And his concern for the healing of his servant came to Jesus first through some elders of the Jews and then through some Gentile friends of the centurion. All of them believed that Jesus could help. And all of them believed the centurion was the kind of man worthy of having Jesus to help him. The centurion's own message to Jesus was quite different. It was not a message of worthiness. It was a message of humility and faith. I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, he said. That's why I didn't presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. As a military man, he knew when a leader gives an order, that order is obeyed. Even if the leader is not physically present, his words carry the authority to get things done, to make things happen. So this centurion believes that the words of Jesus have the same power, the same authority as the presence of Jesus to get things done. He knew the miracles Jesus had been performing around the region. He knew how the teachings of Jesus were changing people's lives. He knew that men and women and children were being freed not only from infirmity and disease, but from the power of sin and death itself by his words. And so now he believes Jesus just needs to say the word. It's not necessary for him to come into the house. Just say the word and the servant will be healed. And you know what? He was right. All that was needed was the word of Jesus. This centurion's experience of the power of Jesus' words foreshadows the experience of generations of men and women, including folks like us, who never saw Jesus in the flesh, but who know his presence and his power through his word. That's awfully important because it means that our experience of Jesus through his word is not diminished in any way, shape, or form simply because 2,000 years have passed. We can know that as we hear the words of Jesus today and as we hear words about Jesus today, he is with us here and now. And honestly, I don't think we could survive if that were not true. Without that kind of confidence, the church would have a past but no future. Jesus would be an article in a dictionary of ancient history rather than present reality. A part of the power of his words is that through them by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is present and at work in the church and in your life and mine and in this world today in the same way he was present and at work in the home of a Roman centurion bringing life to a dying servant. There is another dimension to the power of Jesus' words that I think Luke also wants us to know. 
not only their power to heal the dying, but also their power to tear down barriers between people of different backgrounds and perspectives. I hope you noted that this centurion had friends who were both Gentiles and friends who were Jews. And representatives of both groups came to Jesus on his behalf. What brought these sometimes enemies together was not just a shared friendship with a Roman soldier. They also shared the conviction about the power of the words of Jesus. And you and I know that the church has always been aware of that power. We have seen missionaries take the words of Jesus out into the world and tear down dividing walls of hostility. We have seen how the words of Jesus have led longtime enemies to lay down weapons of war and embrace each other as sisters and brothers in Christ. Luke wants us to see how the words of Jesus have not only power to give life to one who is dying, but also power to heal the brokenness of the human community. With our world, our nation, our communities, our own lives drowning in a flood of hateful, angry, twisted words, we desperately need a word that has the power to give life, to heal brokenness, and to effect reconciliation. And there's only one word I know that has that kind of power, and that is the word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus Christ. In our life together as the church, it is so important for us all to remember that the call to the service of this healing, reconciling word is a call to every member of the church, to each one of us who names the name of Jesus Christ as Lord. It is a call from a hurting world first voiced long ago by a Roman centurion who begged, just say the word, a word that has power to heal, power to restore. I believe with all my heart that God wants that word spoken today loud and clear. That he wants it spoken to proclaim comfort to those who are wounded and oppressed, to announce release to those who are held captive by whatever force of evil, by whatever substance, by whatever circumstance holds them captive. That he wants that word spoken to declare forgiveness to those whose lives are broken with sin. He commissions us, you and me, to carry this word into the world, into all of our relationships, this word that has the power to heal the wounded lives of men, women, and children, and the power to mend the brokenness in the church and in the society all around us. When I graduated from seminary more than 40 years ago, I thought I knew everything. And I've learned since that I don't know much but I do know this. 
I do know that when you and I are faithful in our stewardship of the word, the word continues to become flesh and dwell among us, full of grace and truth. And we will experience for ourselves the healing and the wholeness that the word brings. And we will behold the glory of the only begotten Son of God. So my message to you this morning is really very simple. Just say the word. Just say the word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.